in the words of the great Travis Tripp, it's a great day to be alive. Amen. Amen. We went and saw him in concert last night. Um, he still got it. He still got it. So uh, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 34 today. We're, we're moving along on our journey. We're almost to the promised land, everybody, if you've been in your, in your reading. So as you're looking up Exodus chapter 34, uh, I just want to tell you about a couple of things. Uh, it's getting a little packed in here, okay? You, y'all feeling that? You feel it? Anybody hot? We can turn the AC on. No? Need an AC? Show of hands that want an AC on right now? Okay. Could y'all flip that AC switch back there, please? Thank you. Um, I never know if it's hot in here or not because these lights, I feel like I get a suntan every Sunday morning that we get up here. But um, if y'all can help us do, a fa- do us a favor, do, do all of us a favor, is that when we come in, if we could try to fill as many chairs up front, get to know people beside you, because um, as we're trying to, to navigate what to do in the future, if we need to add a service, if we need to add a building, if we need to get rid of some people, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but we, what we want to do is make sure for those that come in late don't have to do the awkward, where, where should I go? They can, we can just help them come in. Um, so we're still trying to get used to the building. One thing that we're going to be doing here soon is adding some lighting so you can see what you're reading. Some of you use flashlights in the service, and I apologize for that, but we're going to fix it. All right, you're at Exodus chapter 34 now? Okay. Shouldn't be hard. It's the second book in, in the Bible. In, so in the New Testament, uh, the Jewish people believed that the Messiah, right, Jesus for us, was going to be this Moses-like figure. Because when you talk to to uh, Jewish people, Moses is one of the big names, historical figures that, that uh, represents a lot. And so in, in the, the Jewish people believed in the New Testament that whoever this Messiah was going to be would look a lot like Moses. And they believed that he was going to be a prophet like Moses. And in John chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000 people. Y'all remember that story? And the Jewish people say this, and they say that this indeed is the prophet who came to earth, right? Because they're, they're putting two and two together. And then Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 15 says there's a prophet who's supposed to come and, and Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophet. He's prophet, priest, and king. He fulfills all three of those. So there, there are so many connections between Moses and Jesus, this, this figure, right? Remember I, t- I told you that the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus in the New Testament. Remember, the Old Testament is the outline of the drawing and the New Testament is the color that helps us fully see the imagery of the pictures because the Jewish people think in pictures. We think in words, right? And so the Bible is full of painting these pictures to point us to Jesus. And so these connections, this picture that the Bible paints between Moses and Jesus is, is pretty right in our face, like it's bright neon colors. And I want to show you that this morning because Moses, think about this. Here, here's a connection. Moses leads the people. He, he leads them out of bondage, bondage to the promised land, right? Jesus comes, and he leads his people out of the bondage of sin into eternity. You, you, you follow me? And then, then we have, like, as a child, Moses was hidden. Anybody know what country he was hiding in? In Egypt. And then, as a child, Jesus is hidden in Egypt. Did y'all know that? Like he, he had to leave Israel to go into Egypt to, to be saved and, and protected. And then Moses selects 
12 guys to go and spy out the promised land, and Jesus selects 12 disciples. Now, this might be one of the best ones here, that Moses' first miracle was turning water into blood, but Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine, right? There's a lot of similarities when we look at at Moses, and what I want to do today is I want to show you three connections in the reading, and, and what I'm hoping to do today is if you're you feel like, how many of you have been doing the readings through the Word this year with us? Okay, two people. Awesome. We're going to keep doing it. We're going to get there. If you haven't started, now's a good time to start. But here's what I want to do. It, just, it helps me even more to know this message is very convenient and, and it's timely today. Because what I'm hoping to do by making these connections is that you realize how full of the Bible the, the, there's little spiritual nuggets. There's, there's wisdom. And, and there, there's times that you'll read a passage and... It's, you read it like three years ago, and you read it today, and it's something completely different. You ever had that happen? I was thinking, uh, we have 52 Sundays every year. That's 52 sermons. And over like, on, going on five years now, that's a lot of sermons that I've preached, right? I don't even know where they all came from. And, and then you come to the point, you go, hey, there's passages that I have preached over these last almost five years that we've talked about the same passage, but we've gotten completely different pieces from it. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit speaks. And what I want to do is, is to ignite this passion for his word. Because if we're going to, there's two things you got to have as a church. If we're going to be a church that disciples people, you got to have to think of it as an airplane. The body of this plane is our disciples. You have a wing over here because everybody knows you got to have a wing on an airplane, right? This wing is prayer. And April 17th, we're, we're going to we're going to start putting that wing together because we're going to have legitimate prayer meeting. I'm talking legitimate prayer meeting where not about grandma's hangnail, but about the coming of the Holy Spirit upon his people in this church. Amen. So you got to have wing number one, because if we just tried to take off his disciples with the prayer wing, the plane's not getting off the ground, right? You ever seen a plane try to take off with one wing? No, you don't want to be on that plane that tries to take off with one wing. So wing number one is prayer, but wing number two is the word. And when you are in prayer, your passion for the word changes. And when you're in the word, your passion for prayer changes. And then you become disciples. And guess what happens to the plane? It gets some lift and it begins going. And so I hope today that we can ignite that passion that you will want to be in the word because you'll see there's so many incredible things that God tries to teach us through this, this book. It's, it's not like a story or, a, or just a fairy tale. These are real people. Jesus was a real person who walked on a real earth, died on a real cross for a real you. Amen. So I want to make sure we're on the same page. So I want you to see that Moses here was incapable of fulfilling the mission that God had given him. Okay? So remember I told you in the New Testament, the Jewish people believed that Jesus would be a Moses-type figure. So Exodus chapter 34, he says this, Moses was there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights. He did not eat food or drink any water. He wrote the Ten Commandments and the words of the covenant on the tablets. So we're going to divide this into three different progressions this morning. Number one, this is the revelation of his majesty. They're going to really see who God is. In, in Exodus 34, Moses is at the base of Mount Sinai. This is the place that he was at out in Midian when he uh, encounters this burning bush. 
and God has him back at Mount Sinai. This is interesting because when Moses goes to free the people from Egypt, he just takes them to the last place that he experienced, God. Now, this is important because sometimes when you're on spiritual journeys trying to help the other people and you don't know where to direct them, sometimes you just need to bring them to the last place that you met God. Sometimes when you're going through issues and you don't know what's been going on and you, don't, you, you feel lost and you don't know where God is, sometimes you need to go to the last place where you met God because God didn't move. Who did? You. So Moses does what only Moses knows to do is I just got to bring them back into the presence. And whatever happens at the base of this mountain, whatever happens on this mountain, this is God's moving. We have been called to move people into the presence of God. And sometimes that presence is the last place that we found. And Moses is here for 40 days and 40 nights. And the mountain is a place that every time we see mountains in the scripture, it's interesting because it's always about transformation. The mountains always are a time of testing, a time of training, or a time of teaching. So think about this. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to get the Torah, the law, right? So he goes up the mountain. He gets the law. Abraham extends Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son Isaac. We would know later on that Mount Moriah is the place that the temple would be. Mount Moriah is the place that Jesus would go up to and be crucified for our sins. Mount Arbel, Jesus would climb to the top of it in Matthew chapter 28 and give us what we now know as the Great Commission. Mountains are a place of teaching and transformation. And every time we see mountains appear in the scriptures, that's what's happening. So that should always be a sign of they're at a mountain. What's the significance here? So have you ever had one of those mountain experiences, mountaintop experiences? That everything's great on the mountain. Because you can see everything. It's fulfilling. Like, there's a reason when you go in the Great Smoky Mountains, there's, there's a bunch of pull-offs in there. And everybody wants to rent a convertible or ride a motorcycle just to experience the wind and the beauty of nature. That's all the people want to see. It's mountaintop experiences. Moses is about to have a mountaintop experience in this passage that will change his life forever. And I want to show you the byproduct of what happens when Moses tells God, God, I want to see your full glory for who you are. So we're going to look at Exodus 34 and verse 29. He says, as Moses descended from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the testimony in his hand. As he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of speaking with the Lord. He had an incredible facial done. Like he's shining. And when Aaron and all of the Israelites saw Moses, the skin on his face was just shining, and they were afraid to even come near him. And when Moses had finished speaking, he put a veil over his face. Okay, y'all got that story? Let's jump to the New Testament real quick. I want to show you a connection. Mark chapter 9. Jesus is about to climb a mountain with three guys. He's about to climb up with James, John, and Peter. Mountains are places of teaching and transformation, right? So he's about to take them up so they can encounter something that's very similar to Moses. So in Mark chapter 9 verse 2, it says, After six days, Jesus took Peter... James and John, and he led them up on a high mountain by themselves to be alone. And he was transfigured in front of them. And his clothes became dazzling. He bedazzled himself. He's extremely white as no launderer on earth could whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with who? With Moses. And they were talking 
with Jesus. The disciples are sitting here seeing this figure of Jesus. All of a sudden, he's transfigured in front of them. His clothes become dazzling. He's, he's radiant. Every, his clothes are so white, nothing could ever get him that white. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of Jesus there, the transfiguration, you have Elijah that pops up, who's a very big key person in the Old Testament. And then Moses comes up, and these guys are like, whoa, this is an incredible meet and greet. What's going on here? There's a connection here. Because Moses goes up on the mountain, his face is shining because he's in the presence of God. Jesus goes up on the mountain and his face is shining because he too is in the presence of God. And according to Exodus 24.1, Moses brings with him three disciples to the mountain. And how many disciples does Jesus bring? This is not by coincidence. You hear me? Not coincidence. Jesus is fulfilling, he's the greater Moses is what Hebrews will tell us. And he's trying to show them something because they're, they're Jewish minds. They know the first five books of the Old Testament. They understand Exodus. And so Jesus is trying to help reveal that he's the fulfillment of those passages that we just read. So God speaks to Moses from a cloud when he's getting the law. And God speaks to Jesus from a cloud. So what's the connection? Well, Peter is going to clarify this. He says this in verse 5. Of Mark chapter 9. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Now, I have to think that Peter's a little bit of a, I don't know what word you want to use right there, but Peter, I imagine him saying this, like, it's good for us to be here, as in, and those other guys ain't getting to be a part of this, like, we're in the VIP section here, right? And he makes this comment, and then he says this, let us build three shelters one for you, Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because he did not know what to say. Can I just give you just some life advice? When you don't know what to say, just be quiet. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't say anything. This is one of these moments where Peter puts his foot in his mouth, but Jesus is going to use it. And he says, I didn't know what to say, so I just said it. And then once he said it, they were terrified. This is why in the book of Acts, when Peter, they said, um, these guys aren't filled with the Spirit, they're just drunk. Y'all remember that? And Peter was like, I got this. I can imagine other disciples going, oh, no, 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 no. We do not want you speaking on our behalf. But then we're going to read what happens in that passage in just a few minutes. But Peter, Peter says, we, we have three important people here. Let us build a tabernacle for these guys. I mean, we got Elijah and Moses and Jesus. We should be building a tabernacle on this mountain to commemorate this moment to give honor to these three guys. Think about this. When Moses comes down from the mountain, what's the first thing that God tells them to do? Build a tabernacle. They go up on the mountain with Jesus and they witness this and their first mind goes back to Exodus that we should build these guys a tabernacle. Just like Moses was the prefigure of Christ Jesus fulfills that in the law in Mark chapter 9. Here's the second connection. There's, a, there's an identification of his divinity. So they, they've seen his majesty. They've witnessed his majesty. They've seen it in the Old Testament, but now they're experiencing it in real life, in real time. But now they've got to identify his divinity. Is he really who he says he is? Isn't that what faith is? 
is believing that God can do what God says he can do and that he is who he says he is. And so there's this identification. Because in Mark chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Now I want you to see this connection here. In Mark 6, 45, it says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. He goes to Bethsaida. And while he dismissed the crowd, after he said goodbye to them, he went away to the mountain to pray. So Jesus tells them, they just, imagine, they just fed over 15,000 plus people with just a couple of pieces of bread and a couple of fish. It was an amazing moment. It's kind of similar to there too. You remember that the Israelites were starving and manna rained down from heaven? Remember that? See the connection? And so Jesus, they witness this moment and Jesus sends them on a boat to go to the other side, to go across to the other side of the lake. Jesus goes up to the mountain to pray. And well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw them straining their oars because the wind was against them. Can I just tell you that you may feel like you're out in the middle of the water all by yourself, but Jesus sees you. He sees you. And what was Jesus praying on that hillside? I have to believe that he was praying for those disciples. He was praying for the moment that's about to happen here in this next verse. He sees them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. But very early in the morning, they left at night. And Jesus is watching them all through the night struggle against the waves, the boats being pushed back and forth. But very early in the morning, he came towards them walking on the sea. And read this with me. And he wanted to do what? Pass by them. In the Greek language, it looks like this. Oh, hey, guys. How you doing? That's what it looked like. But he says this, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. They didn't recognize him, and they cry out. Because they all saw him, and they were, here's that word again, terrified. Immediately, you know, every time the presence of God comes into play, he's terrified. And immediately he spoke with them and said, have courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Jesus is doing two things in this passage. The first thing he's doing is Jesus reveals his identity to them. They're in the middle of what they think is going to cost them their life, that they're going to die, that the boat's going to be flooded, that it's going to flip over, that they're out in the middle of the water, and they have all these superstitions that this is an abyss, and if they fall in the water, they'll drown forever. There's no coming back from that. These are experienced fishermen. Would you agree with me that a fishing trip is a lot better with someone who's experienced than someone who's not, right? You want to be, if a storm comes and you're in a boat, you want to be with the experienced person, right? You don't want to be, no offense, you don't want to be with somebody in the army. You want to be with the Coast Guard. They got boats that just flip and they just keep going, no big deal. These are experienced fishermen. So here's the question, why are they scared? This isn't anything abnormal. The storms come up all the time on the Sea of Galilee. So, so why, why are they scared? Because they should be making progress. They should be at the other side by now. It doesn't take that long to get from one side of Lake Galilee to the other. You can literally see the other side standing on the other side. And they're stuck. And to make matters worse... They see this ghost-like figure coming at them, coming across the water, and they are scared. They are terrified. They do not recognize this ghost-like figure. 
So now they're thinking they're seeing some kind of spirit, and it's the death angel coming to take them and kill them, and this is, this is it. But Jesus does something very strange. He doesn't walk up to the boat and reveal himself. The passage says that he wanted to pass them by. Now, why is that? Jesus is teaching them something about himself. There are two key words that I want to show you. In the Greek language, I want to show you this. There's the word wanted, okay? Because it says that he wanted to pass them by. In the Greek, it means this is either willed or purposed. Willed or purposed. Jesus is showing us that this right here, this moment is not a happenstance. It's not just like a luck, not like just a random act. This is happening on purpose. He wanted to pass them by. So he purposely is walking past them. Here's the second word, pass them by. It's one word in Greek. And when connected to God, it's an epiphany. And, and so what, it's a disclosure or a revelation about someone's identity. Let, let me break it down. He wanted to pass them by. He purposefully walks past them in order to identify himself in the revelation of who he was. It's a very planned out move by Jesus. So Jesus is trying to disclose to them his identity. Are you ready for this? There are only two times in the Bible where God reveals himself, his identity, by passing people by. We find them in the Old Testament. Because again, everything that Jesus is doing with the disciples is pointing them back to the Old Testament. He says this in 1 Kings. Remember this guy named Elijah? In Elijah, in 1 Kings chapter 19, it says, Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. And at that moment, the Lord, what's the word? Passed by. And a great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. And the Lord was in the soft whisper. Why is he passing Elijah by? Because he is identifying himself. He is showing who he is, his, his power, his identity. And the second time God reveals himself is to Moses. And that's in Exodus chapter 33. Look at this. The Lord answered Moses. I will do this very thing that you've asked. Because he asked, hey, God, I want to see your full glory. I want to see you. I want to see your face. And he says, I'll do this very thing that you've asked for. You have found favor with me, and I know you by name. But then Moses said, please let me see your glory. And he said, I will cause all of my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he added, you cannot see my face, for humans cannot see me and live. Why is that? Because God is holy, and his light and darkness can't come into light. We cannot bring our sinful selves into light. We learned last week that our sin cost him everything so that we could be in his presence. And he said, the Lord said, here is a place near me. You're to stand on the rock, and when my glory, what's the word, passes by, I will put you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take my hand away, and you will see my back, 
but my face will not be seen. By God saying, I'll pass you by, that is the picture of who he is. When he passes by, it is a revealing of who he is. Now come in close on this one. When Jesus is on the water and he means to pass by the disciples, he did it to reveal who he was. And what he's saying is this, is there's only one who passes by, and it is God. He says, I am the one with the Father. I am one with the Father. If there's any doubt that I'm with the Father, just look at what I've done. Just look at what I just did. And the disciples are slow learners. Anybody testify to that? Maybe, maybe you're there. Maybe I'm there. So he has to tell it to them and reveal who he is. This is why we get into verse 49. He says, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and they were terrified. And immediately he spoke with them and said, have courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. How many times have we heard that word in the Bible? Do not be afraid. Jesus removes their fears. They're terrified. They're terrified. We're going to die. We're, we're out here in the middle of the water. We just do it. Matter of fact, why are they out in the middle of the water? They're just doing what Jesus told them to do. Sometimes Jesus calls you to things that puts you out in the middle of the storm. And we're in the middle of the storm complaining that we're in the middle of the storm. And all he wants you to do is see him walking on the water. To see him walking. There's a song written years ago that says sometimes God calms the storms, but sometimes he calms the child. And what is he doing here? He is calming his children in this boat. God is always telling people, do not be afraid. When we end the book of Malachi to the book of Matthew, we call it the intertestamental period. It was 400 years that God did not speak through his prophets. And the first time God speaks after 400 years in the New Testament, in the Matthew, he speaks through an angel. You know what the three words were the angel said? Do not be afraid. That's four. <laughs> Do not be afraid. That's, that's pretty powerful for words to break the silence, right? Do not be afraid. Do not fear. When, when God goes to Mary and tells Mary that, hey, you're, you're going to have a baby. It's going to be the Messiah. When the angel comes to her, he says, do not be afraid. Do not fear. And Jesus doesn't just say, do not fear. They don't fear what he just did. They're not fearing that he walked across the water. They fear what he just said. And let me tell you what he said in Hebrew. He doesn't say it is I do not fear. He says, do not fear, I am, I am. Why is that important that he uses the words I am? Because in Exodus chapter 3, God goes to Moses, and Moses says, I'll go to Egypt, but I need to know who to tell him who sent me. What is your name? And God said, my name is I am. It wasn't just, hey, do not be afraid because I am with you. It wasn't just a sentence. He was declaring who he is. This is a powerful statement because I am glad that God said, 
I am and not I was. But we will approach life and circumstances as if God was and not is. It's a powerful statement. In John 18, when the temple priest came to arrest Jesus, I want you to hear what Jesus had to say to these guys. Then Jesus, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, could you imagine? What's about to happen to him? He is about to be brutally beaten, betrayed, and murdered. And he knows every bit of pain that's coming. By the way, he could have stopped it. But he didn't. Think about Judas. He could have been like, well, this is for everybody but that guy. This, this last supper is for everybody but that guy. That Judas had to eat too. That God knows that he could have stopped. As Jesus said, hey, if there's another way, I'm good. But if this is your will, God, I will go to the cross knowing what's about to happen. And the Bible says, knowing everything that was about to happen to him, he went out and said to them, who is it that you're seeking? Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. And listen to what he says. What? I am. I am he. I am he. And Jesus told them, Judas, who betrayed him, was also standing with them. And when Jesus told them, I am he, they stepped back and fell to the ground. The soldiers. The Roman soldiers. The same words I am that caused the soldiers to fall are the exact same words that Jesus used to comfort his disciples on the boat that night or that morning. If, if you're dealing with news of a health issue, Jesus would say to you that he, he is. I am. If you're dealing with issues in your marriage, Jesus would say, I am. If your marriage is not what you thought it was going to be, Jesus said, I am. I am what you need. Not I was, not I is, I am. He's everything that we need, but he's always the second thing that we ever go for. Why is it that he always gets the seconds? We are second. He is first. If, I'm convinced that if we will take things to him first, we would save ourselves a lot of heartache. From ex preaching from experience. Preaching to myself. This is powerful that Jesus would use those terms going back to Exodus of I am. I am the fulfillment of God. I am in flesh incarnate. I am the Messiah. And I would, we could stop right there and that would be great. But I think we would miss one of the greatest nuggets that happened between Moses. But look at this. It's a restoration of his humanity. If you look at Exodus chapter 19, we're, we're kind of having to reverse engineer this thing. In Exodus 19, I want to pinpoint the exact day, the exact day that Moses receives the law of the Lord on Mount Sinai. And here's what happened. God tells the people in Exodus chapter 12, you need to sacrifice what? What are they sacrificing? Okay, a lamb. That's what they're sacrificing. They're sacrificing a lamb on a certain day. And after you sacrifice, he says, because remember, this is the Passover. When you sacrifice a lamb, put the blood on the doorpost. And the death angel will pass over your home. And then when you, the death angel passes over, so you have Passover. When Passover happens, then you will leave Egypt. What day was it? Well, the Bible tells us it was Nisan 15. That's not a car. This is April 15th. 
They journey for 30 days to the second month. And then Exodus 19 tells us what day they actually get to Mount Sinai. It says in Exodus 19.1, in the third month from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness. Now follow me here. They've landed on the mountain on day 46. Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to get the law on day 47. He comes down because God tells him to consecrate the people. Well, we know consecration takes three days. Then Moses goes back up to the mountain on day, anybody doing the math? Day 50. You're saying, why is this all important? Hang on. Because from Passover to Pentecost is 50 days. And Jewish people celebrate on Pentecost the giving of the law of God to the people. And they would count the days down to Pentecost. In Hebrew, we call it the Feast of Weeks. That is seven weeks till Pentecost. So why is that important? Because Moses takes them out of Egypt on Passover in order to give them the law on Pentecost. And when Moses is on the mountain, God tells him something that's happening. He's like, hey, man, I know it's been an incredible experience, but hey, tell you, people doing some dumb stuff down there at the bottom of the mountain. You're going to need to go handle that. And Moses comes down to the bottom of the mountain, he looks, and these crazies have decided, hey, we should probably just build a golden calf and worship that because Moses ain't coming back. So they melt all their gold down, they build a golden calf. And in Exodus 32, this is Aaron's response, okay? When Moses says, what are you doing? This is Aaron's response. Tell me if it doesn't sound like your preschooler. He's like, Moses says, why are you worshiping the golden calf? Aaron, where did this thing even come from? And he says this, all I know is when I threw it in the fire, it came out as a calf. <laughs> you ever heard that before? What had happened was I threw all the gold in and this calf just came out and we like, oh, it must be a gift from God. Why are they worshiping a calf after God just saved them? In Exodus 32, it tells us, when the people saw that Moses was delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and they said to him this, come, make gods for us who will go before us because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him because he's been up on the mountain and he ain't coming back. He's, he's brought us out here for us to die. We should find another God. I want you to catch this. Moses realizes that their disobedience because they're worshiping a false god. He, he literally just wrote this in the Ten Commandments. Don't worship other gods. And they've already broken it. He didn't even get the thing. And out of his frustration of their disobedience, Moses breaks the tablets. Just throws them. Breaks them. And then he says this in verse 28. The Levites did as Moses commanded. You ready? And about, what was that number? 3,000 men fell dead that day among the people. Now how many fell dead? Here's the image. Please do not judge my drawing. I did not have a lot of time. This is high quality. There was a Passover for them to leave Egypt. 50 days. They're Pentecost. They get the law. They break the law. 3,000 people are killed. You got that image? This is why the numbers are important. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 2. This is the day the Holy Spirit of God descends upon the people. Millions of people have come upon Jerusalem. They've come to celebrate the festival called Pentecost. 
50 days after the Passover. And Peter preached this amazing sermon. Because remember, the disciples were like, I don't know if we want you speaking on our behalf to respond to the whole drunk comment. But Peter's like, I got it. And he begins to preach. And he preaches an incredible sermon. But then notice what people say in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37. It says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. Because he was preaching the gospel. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles' brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, you need to repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God would call, with many other words he testified strongly. He urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted the message were baptized. And that day, about what? 3,000 people lived. Why not 500 people? Why not 2,900 and 99. Well, let me show you on my other incredible drawing. Because there was a Passover that when you come to the cross and respond to the gospel, the death angel passes over you because God gives you eternal life. There was a day that Jesus ascends, and then that gets us to 50 days when Pentecost, and instead of giving you the law that you and I cannot fulfill, he gave us the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people were saved. Jesus fulfilled what Moses could not do. Jesus fulfilled what you and I cannot do. We had to have someone die for us because we couldn't do it. He is the fulfillment. Jesus is the Passover lamb, dies on Passover, remained with the disciples for 40 days. He ascends. They waited 10 days to go on the mountain of Jerusalem to meet with God. And God wasn't going to give them a book of laws this time. He's going to give them the power of the Holy Spirit, which we do not use like we should be using. And he's, instead of engraving the book of law upon them, he engraves their hearts with the Holy Spirit. And the very next thing that happens is 3,000 people are saved. Jesus is doing what Moses couldn't do. And Moses made it to the edge of the promised land and died. But not Jesus. You see, he conquered death. He breathed new life. He came tearing out of that tomb that morning. And Jesus conquered what Moses couldn't. In Exodus, 3,000 went from life to death. But in Acts, 3,000 went from death to life. You know what I love about the Bible? Is that you can never exhaust the puzzle pieces that are there for us to put together. But you got to study it. You got to know it. You got to read it. You have to apply it. It does no good to know all these things and not put it into place. Well, how do we do it? You need the gifting of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will tell you. I love it because there are times that I've been in conversations with people and I didn't know what to say. You ever been in those? And I felt like Peter. I just said things. 
and then realized that was dumb, then I was terrified. But I've had these moments where I was just intently, while people were talking, I just start asking the Holy Spirit, what do you want me to say? Put your hand over my mouth or give me words to speak, one of the two. And that there have been times that thing, I would have this conversation with people. And then all of a sudden, I would walk away from that conversation going, where'd that come from? Because the Bible says the Holy Spirit will give you the words to speak when you need to speak. And listen, Jesus says the same spirit that raised him from the grave is the same spirit that resides in you and me. We have to take hold of that. Like I told you earlier, prayer is one wing. The word is the other wing. Discipleship is the body. But the Holy Spirit is the power that maneuvers it. And you can't have prayer and you can't have the word and you can't have the body without the spirit. And at some point, you got, you've got to lean into that. And if you're like, this is uncomfortable, that's because it's the Spirit. Because He comes to uproot, to convict us, to counsel us, to guide us, to teach us, to show us that there is a fulfillment of the law. Here's my prayer for us as a church. My prayer is that you and I would be people of His Word. Not just reading His Word, but we'll have a passion for this book right here. That this will be the book that we hold on to. This will be the book that we go to because it is the very words of God. It was inspired. I pray that people in our community, they may not know about our church. They may not know anything about our church. But here's my prayer. It's that I don't know anything about Together Church, but what I do know is they love their scripture and they love Jesus. We don't need billboards marketing who our church is. We don't need fancy campaigns. We just need the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus. How many of you got here because you saw a billboard? I'll wait. How many of you got here because somebody invited you to be here? Let me see your hands. Hmm. It's amazing, isn't it? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the greater Moses. He's the greater Elijah. He's the greater Abraham. He is the fulfillment of everything that we've, we've studied in Exodus. Here's my question to you this morning. I, I want to challenge you in two ways. Where's your passion for the word? And if you feel convicted, this is the spirit convicting you. When's the last time that you just sat down and read? Or even listen to the scripture. And when's the last time that you've let those words penetrate right here? To use, to, to, to live and let it transform you. You notice every time that the disciples came into contact with people, this was the thing. Those guys have been with Jesus. Because they physically were with the word. We have that same opportunity to do the same thing. I want to challenge you in that. So here's my prayer this week. I believe that if you will sit down, you start with the book of John. You need, don't start in Leviticus. It's a bad starting point. Okay? <laughs> you will put it back down, but like, I'm good. I'll, I'll wait. 
If you just open up to the book of John, just start a reading plan and, and start before you read, say this, Holy Spirit, show me what you want me to learn. And can I tell you what's going to happen? He's going to show you. Because that's what he does. He's really good at his job, everybody. Really, really good. There's a reason that Jesus gave him that job. Because he's good at it. So I want to pray for you as we respond this morning. Believing that everything in this book is, is, is it. So Father, I thank you so much today. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word. Lord, every time we, we open these pages and we flip and we read, it's not just going through a checklist to say that I've read it today. When we get into the scriptures, when we're prayer, we're people that, that are praying and seeking, and we open your word, it is, it is a moment that we get to sit with you, our Father, and hear from you, to learn about you. Think about my grandfather. When I was a kid, I used to love just climbing up in his lap and hearing stories he was in the Navy and he served at Pearl Harbor and he knew Roger Starlbach, which I still think he wasn't telling the truth, but he would tell me these stories of him growing up and I would always want to climb up in granddaddy's lap to hear the stories because I'm who I am today because of the stories of what my grandfather experienced. When we get in the word, is it us crawling up in the lap of our father hearing the stories. Jesus, right now, I pray your spirit would be upon this place. Come rest on us. Bring life transformation, Lord. In this moment, I pray these things in your name.